Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake, and I will be your host for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Today, we are honored to have veteran broadcaster, formerly of CBS Sports and now with Fox Sports 1, Mr. Tim Brando. Tim, welcome to the show, and thank you for taking the time to call into the Red Zone. Oh, I couldn't be happy to be with you. I give Kip my best and tell him I hope there's no trouble in turn three. When he said no, <laughs> I definitely left. will. I I know Kip okay. is gonna is gonna hate missing it, so uh, I know he'll certainly appreciate that. Want to get your thoughts on uh, some news of last night? While the polls were closing all across the country, the college football playoff selection committee released their second list of uh, rankings this week, and I uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts, Tim, on. Uh, uh, your thoughts on that? Any Did anything jump out at you? Any surprises? Anything like that from the second week's rankings? No, not really. Uh, and to be honest, I thought some of the overreaction from week one was typical yeah. and and should have probably been expected because that's what we always have. I think these standings are there to create conversation. I think it's something that the committee loves. They want to keep uh, you know the college football propaganda out there front and center uh and and, yeah. and, and you know it's, it's good it's spirited debate but the truth of the matter is with that much time left in the process it's probably a little too soon to be doing it sure you could easily yeah. you could make a case that yeah. we could wait another two weeks before we actually put out our first standing but as a result we have situations like the one last week where washington and a lot of people on the west coast felt slighted played the yeah. stereotypical uh, you've forgotten about us uh, East Coast bias card, which is always there. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I thought it was a little misplaced, but that's to be expected. And um, yesterday, I think the one takeaway for me would be that uh, Louisville behind Ohio State is, yeah. while understandable, understandable because of the data, the body of work. It's the same reason, really, yeah. A&M was ahead of Washington last week. It's about non-conference schedules, strength of schedule, and, you know, the records of the teams you've played and your opponent's opponents. I mean, that's what – it's the same thing that they've used for the NCAA tournament for years and a lot of helmet heads. And when I say that, I mean it in a complimentary (laughs) manner. Football guys, football analysts, really well-read, intelligent football people do not understand the blueprint – of the NCAA tournament because they don't follow college basketball. Uh, that's, right. that's the same blueprint that's being utilized for these four teams and these 25 teams that are in the standings every week and uh, help helping to determine who goes to what bowl and all of that. And, and I don't think that that re- really registers with anybody. All the, 
right. major principles involved in our sport care solely about the top four teams and little else. The truth right. is the committee is doing the work not only for those four teams, but for the New Year's Six Bowls. And then after that, all of the other bowl games that are out there that they're trying to fill slots for. So the mechanism sure. that's in place is understandable, but I don't think a lot of the media involved understands it. And until you go to one, one of those mock selection processes and you understand, you know, what they're looking at, only then I think can you actually get it. And I've never done the mock for football. I did do it once for basketball. And I can tell you that once you've gone through it, you, you understand, and it's very difficult to criticize. It, it's a very yeah. difficult process to criticize once you've seen the work that's put into it. It's almost as if, if anything, they've got too much information, and it forces yeah. their hand on a lot of things. I think Louisville, the, the point I wanted to make was, I think Louisville is actually a better team than Ohio State. I would rank mm-hmm. them ahead of Ohio State with the eye test alone. I think Lamar Jackson is by far and away the best player in the country right now. Um, and, and I think that X factor in my mind would give them an advantage, but because Louisville is in the league they're in and their best games are behind and they don't have a quality or undefeated Houston to play, which we all thought they would, that's going to be a problem for them. And it's what props Ohio state up to the precipice of cracking the top four, even after a loss to Penn state. So that would be my one, my one critical thought. But it's not that I'm saying they deserve to be ahead, of, that, that Louisville deserves to be ahead. I, I'm not. I, I understand why Ohio State is where, the, where they are. But I do think yeah. that um, in time, uh, if the opportunity presented itself, Louisville, in my opinion, would beat Ohio State. Yeah, I couldn't agree, couldn't agree with you more. And I tell you, we're now, in, uh, we're now in year three of this type of system to determine a national champion in college football. So you had mentioned it's not without criticism. I happen to be a big fan of it because I was very critical of the BCS when they were bringing it down to two teams. And one of the reasons, Tim, I was so critical is because I'm a graduate of Auburn University. So in 2004, the unthinkable happened, right? I mean, Auburn goes undefeated in a in a major conference like the Southeastern Conference, and they're denied the opportunity <laughs> to play for the national title. So I, I do think this type of system, while it will always have criticism, and that's what makes it exciting, right? I mean, you're always going to have people criticizing. It's sports. It's college football. It's kind of the environment we're in. But uh, but I do like the fact that it's uh, that it's at four teams. I like the fact that it's New Year's uh, New Year's Eve, even though it hurt ratings on the second year a little bit. And uh, not to go um, without notice as well in the fact that, you know, we, we, we only have two years worth of data to look at. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the kiss of death for at least one team to be in that first top four. And I think we found that with Texas A&M this past weekend. I, I don't know that that game would have been as competitive against Mississippi State as it was. I think they were a little surprised to find themselves there. I, I remember that two years ago, Auburn, we were in the similar position. I think the first uh, uh, college football playoff rankings came out and we were in the top four. And I think we went on to w- uh, lose three games, uh, three out of our final four games. So it didn't work out real well for us but uh um it'll be exciting and and to your point too it's early there's still um 
at least three, maybe four teams that still kind of control their own destiny based upon who they play. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I'm excited. I, I think the, uh, uh, I don't know that I've ever been looking more forward to a semifinals, as many quality teams as, as we have in there. Let's switch gears a little bit, talk a little bit of SEC football. Um, you know, SEC football, college football very well, but you certainly know, the state of Louisiana very well. So I want to ask you a little bit about this LSU football team. Give me your thoughts on this year's team and and, uh, specifically the decision made by the administration to part ways with long-term coach Les Miles after the Auburn game, a game that I was at, a game that I thought we had lost and I was leaving the stadium uh, only to find out that uh, the ball had been snapped a second after the conclusion uh, of the, that the clock expired. But uh, talk a little bit about this LSU team, the game this past weekend at Alabama. Certainly they lost, but we're, I think, uh, gained a lot of respect for people all around the country. Where does LSU go from here, Tim? Where do you see that program not only ending the year with three incredibly difficult games, but uh, what do you see as the future for Ed Orgeron? Do they go outside and look for a coach, or do you think you know these next three games really are a dress rehearsal for him to uh, to audition for this job? Given the times of our, our country today, and especially with what's on a lot of people's minds, uh, I would look at the LSU administrative decisions of the end of last year and the beginning of this year and correlate it to uh, our electorate as a reminder of really what happened to the Republican National Committee uh, going into the primary season a little over 18 months ago. They had way too many guys that that basically were one and the same. That's right. Because they had too many of the same, none of them were going to stand out and therefore yep. a populist with no experience whatsoever in politics was able to crack through a group of 17 other people, all of whom yeah. had more experience than he did and understood sure. government and politics, which, by the way, turned out to be a detriment, not a strength. Sure to the did. Voting public. Sure did. The beneficiary was the guy that could claim, hey, I'm not part of this problem. You guys have this thing all screwed up. And the rest of the country was listening. And all of the suits representing the political infrastructure of Washington was tone deaf to what was taking place. That's right. I think the same has been true at LSU with regard to their administration. They should have heard, but didn't, how badly the, the base, the LSU fan base, wanted change at the end of last year. They basically promised that there would be change. And then because of what? Politics. Complete politics. What were the politics, Tim? Walk us through that, because it it certainly looked like the writing was on the wall for Miles and he was out the door. Why did they change their mind? It was clearly clearly politics. The state government was going through a huge deficit. Higher education was being cut and slashed across the board. The governor had... uh, had really run um, higher education's budget into the ground, an outgoing Republican governor who was very disappointing mm-hmm. to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually emceed his inauguration, and, and Bobby did a very fair, Bobby Gentle did a very poor job and was very sure. disappointing. But what happened in the end was 
the president of the university, tone deaf again to what was going on around him, decided that while an offer to Jimbo Fisher could be extended, it would look bad for them to go to the legislative body and have them understand why they're going to go after a coach and pay him X number of dollars uh, every year and yet cut the budgets, slash the budgets and professors and deans of different uh, schools within the university system would be cut. Well, that is just so uh, tone deaf. First and foremost, the majority of the revenue that's being paid to the coach to make him a millionaire is is privately funded. The athletic department is privately funded. The athletic department gives to the academic side at LSU annually $10 million. So how in the world he would think that the, the public and politically everyone would be dumb enough to believe that this looks – it would not look bad. It was just an antiquated view from an academician that certainly sure. didn't get it. And in the end, Jimbo Fisher, who thought he had a deal, didn't have a deal. And uh, the relationship between Jimmy Sexton and LSU's hierarchy was damaged. I don't know if it was damaged irreparably. We'll maybe find out in the coming weeks and months. But it was just a bad call. If the decision mm-hmm. to, to make was to fire less miles, it should have been done last year. It was. That's right. So then, then they play this uh, cockamamie charades game of, uh, oh, wow, we had this epiphany at halftime of the A&M game. Les Miles is still our coach. We love him. He's the future. He's going to make some changes, blah, blah, blah. Right. And right. Uh, they, they played on the populist side of our state. And, you know, Les is an endearing personality. Everybody likes him. They don't like his, his football approach, but they like him as right. a human being. And so right. they tried to play this game to make it work, to try to sell it. But in truth, nothing was going to change unless it didn't. And ultimately, they had to make this call. Well, now they find themselves in a situation where the populist choice is Ed Orgeron as an interim coach. Some... And if Ed, and I really believe this, if Ed can win his remaining games, and I think it's, it's equally possible. It, it's, it, it's as possible he could win every game as it is possible he could lose every game that they've got left on the Sure, um, Sure. Especially in the aftermath of such an emotional game against Alabama. But mm-hmm. the trend with Miles over this last five-year run and uh, now six consecutive losses to Alabama has been that after the loss to the Tide, they have cratered emotionally and physically and uh, have lost multiple games in succession afterwards. If, if Orgeron can buck that trend, and win these remaining games, I think there's a very good chance that Ed would be hired as the head coach and that the search would not be for a brilliant offensive-minded head coach, but a brilliant offensive mind to be his offensive coordinator. That's what I believe in my heart of hearts. Yeah, that's interesting because the, you know, the danger, as you know, Tim, at, at getting rid of a coach that, that early in the season is you put somebody in the interim spot and then they have success and you're, you're – you're almost obligated to, to kind of hire him and give him a chance. And so I, I guess the one more question before we pivot a little bit and talk about some, uh, some yep. big 12 football, but any concerns with LSU brass that uh, let's say Orgeron wins one out of his last three games. He's still, you know, uh, he's pumped a tremendous amount of new energy into that program. He's one of them, quote unquote, you know, being from the Bayou State. Thoughts on that? I mean, are they going to be are they going to be in a position? And too, he's he's one of the best interim football coaches 
of, of all time, but but when he has, you know, when he's in charge of leading a program, he struggles. Thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I think he learned a great deal. I, I know Ed pretty well, and I like and I respect him. I think he learned a great deal and admitted so from his uh, mm-hmm. debacle at Ole Miss. And young coaches, mm-hmm. they're in situations like his that have been position coaches all their lives, sometimes struggle to make the adjustment. It certainly it happened for. Uh, it's happened in, in the conference. Uh, you know, it happened with Will Muschamp. Uh, and and yep. I, I think he's doing a much better job at South Carolina than he did uh, when he was at Florida as a result, all of his remaining games. I don't think wow. one win or just looking good. No, I, I think he's, he's got to get it done. I, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about it. There's way too much frustration. LSU fans know that they have the, the players that can compete with the best. The competition level on the field short of, I think, well, the debacle in the championship game and last year's game in Tuscaloosa. Every other game with Alabama has been a classic that could have been yeah. won by either team with, you know, less than five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and one of the games went to overtime. And I think that the financial capability was there to buy out less and hire Jimbo last year. That same financial capability is there now. So yeah. paying off less and, and paying uh, a Jimbo Fisher or someone like that in terms of pedigree is there. Right. But it would make a heck of a lot more sense, uh, particularly given what a player's coach and how well-received Ed has been and the goodwill that, that, mm-hmm. that is down there and how hard they're playing for him. Uh, it would be, I think, the ideal situation for them to play well, win them all, Orgeron be carried off the field after the final game against A&M. And the chances of that happening now just improved with uh, the Trevor Knight. Uh, no question. News Injury. Yesterday. Yeah. So if I, I mean, if they, if they can win their remaining games, and again, I said, I, I believe they're, they have just big of a chance of losing them all as winning them all. But let's say that for sake of argument, they win them all. Then I think going out and say, getting a, a guy like Sterling Gilbert was hired at Texas from Tulsa. Mm-hmm to change their offense. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Riley was hired from uh, East Carolina, and he made a huge difference for Bob Stoops last year and again this year in the Big 12. You go out and you hire that 35- to 38-year-old OC who's destined to be a great head coach one day, let him come in, pay off Miles. You get Ed Orgeron probably for something around south of $4 million per year. I don't think you have to pay mm-hmm. Ed. Uh, in excess of $4 million. So you save a little money, you build a yeah. lot of goodwill, and you're every bit as successful. I think that's the perfect scenario for them. I don't know that it'll play out that way, but uh, I think that the views of the people that matter in my state, the ones that are going to be you know, costing yeah. up the cash to bring in the next guy, I think that's what a lot of people would really like to see. Yeah, it's interesting. You'd mentioned kind of, you know, learning learning from his, his first opportunity as a head coach. And look, you know, most of those uh, interim uh, coach situations don't work out. But you go in the state next to me in Georgia and South Carolina and people forget Dabo Sweeney was the beneficiary of uh, success as an interim coach. And it certainly worked out for Clemson. So everybody's. Uh, it certainly worked out. It worked out for him, and it it worked out for Clemson. And uh, and I know everybody's going to be watching very very closely to see how it works out for LSU. A couple quick questions, yeah. and we'll let you go. I know you're uh, you're busy. We appreciate your time uh, on with Tim Brando, a veteran broadcaster formerly of CBS Sports, and now with Fox Sports One. You had mentioned the fact that there are a lot of coordinators that uh, that tend to struggle to make the transition to head coach. 
In the state that I'm at now, as I mentioned, I'm Auburn, but I'm just outside of Atlanta. The Georgia Bulldogs last year, despite winning their final four games, parted ways with longtime head coach Mark Richt, who was 9-3. and three. Georgia went on to win their bowl game. They finished 10-3. and Kind of had a lot of people scratching their heads. You know, I think Georgia brass were really hoping Georgia might lose a few more games so it would, uh, it would justify uh, uh, moving on from Mark Richt, especially because he was – so personally liked and people liked, uh, you know, uh, the integrity that he brought to the program. But uh, Georgia, instead of going with somebody who has uh, um, some head coaching experience, goes with one of their own and Kirby Smart, a uh, alumni of the Georgia football program and certainly a disciple of, uh, of, of Nick Saban. And, and the expectations, I think, of how quickly Kirby Smart was going to take this team to the SEC championship, number one, were way out of whack. Um, and maybe that could have been Tim because he took over a program that was 10 and three and just recruited the yeah. number one or the number two quarterback that went in there. So give me your thoughts a little bit on Kirby Smart's inaugural season. You know, I do think Will Muschamp is a better head coach the second time around. I think he, he's quietly yeah. done a really good job with that South Carolina team. Thoughts on Kirby Smart and his maiden voyage with the Bulldogs. I'm a big uh, proponent of Kirby. I've known him. Uh, he was actually playing at Georgia when I was doing those uh, early window games on Jefferson Pilot between my days at ESPN and CBS in the mid-90s, back when mm-hmm. I was calling the Hawks and the Braves and working for Turner as well. Yeah. Uh, Kirby's a, um, you know, Kirby's his own man. He's not, he is obviously, the the, the time spent with Nick is, uh, is always important to a lot of coaches, but I think it's, um, and, and there's no denying you're going to learn a lot being around Saban. Jimbo certainly did. But a little bit yeah. like Kirby, uh, Jimbo, I think, coaches the way with his own personality. He's got his own approach. It's not just, yeah. uh, you know, another, uh, you know, Nick Saban-esque approach to the job. Yeah. There's some emotion there. Right. Kirby, Kirby has a lot of emotion, and I think he's harnessed it the right way. The issue here isn't Kirby smart in my, in my mind. It's, it's Georgia having talked themselves into a corner and having Agreed to make 100%. the call that they made. Uh, I, I think they, they just went on and on every year about Mark and uh, you know, a play here or a play there, including in that magnificent SEC championship game that I was on the field for when arguably they were one play. And, and if the kid just doesn't catch the ball and he drops it, Murray's pass would have been incomplete and he would have had another yep. shot at the end zone. Who knows? I mean, they yeah. could have won a national championship. But the the reality is uh, fans get tired of the same rhetoric. There's disdain that grows over time because uh, they've heard this guy say the same thing the same way year after yeah. year after year. That's what, that's what happened to Mark. And um, a, a lot of the same dynamic was underway with Les Miles at LSU as was underway with Mark. The difference was Miles had a national championship and Les has a personality that's unique and he won over a number of fans uh, as a result of that. Mark, Mark was sort of seen as milk toast and a fine Christian man that just couldn't quite win the biggest games. And I, I think that they just talked themselves into making a change. Kirby, I think will be very successful at Georgia, but Georgians, and their fan base and their administration oh. has to understand that maybe what's at work here isn't the problem with the coach or the problem with the yeah. player, but the culture at the school. Yeah, as is. Couldn't agree that, more. You know, you 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 haven't won a national title 
since Herschel Walker was there and Vince Dooley, one of my great friends and somebody I have ultimate incredible respect for, was head coach. So this idea that you should be banging on on the national title's door every year, I'm yeah, sorry. Unrealistic. That's not who you are. I think, I think yeah. they're an incredible program, tremendous success, top caliber program that's always going to get high-level athletes, but you are not an elite program. You haven't yeah. been an elite program for quite some time, and I, I think that's what Kirby is going to have to fight through uh, because, you know, Georgia's not going to change. Kirby's got to adjust. You know, you yeah. can't ask an institution or its fan base to necessarily change. That would be like me. Uh, trying to get an Alabama fan to understand why I pick LSU in the points, you know? It's not, not going to go real well. They're, they're going to no, look at you like you've gonna, got three heads. Right. I could explain to them, no, you know, it's not a straight-up pick. It's plus the points, you know? That That's they, right. You just don't change the mind of, of a college football fan uh, at all. I, and by the way, I wouldn't want to. I, I think that's yeah. what makes the game great. You know, That's the right. passion, the bitterness, the I, I joke about it on Twitter sometimes, anger, angst, and bitterness, oh my. But without that passion and anger, then they wouldn't care as much as they do. And God knows yeah. I want them to care. You know, I love it. Oh, look, yeah, it is. And look, I'm an, I'm an Auburn graduate, so we've, we've certainly had our highs and lows over the past decade. But we have highs oh, and yeah. we have lows. I mean, their criticism is we've, you know, we we lose three or four games every year, and we can't seem to get over the hump, and we can't seem to have a year bad enough where we need to get rid of our coach. But I tell you, Tim, I'm a little worried this weekend as an Auburn fan. Georgia and Kirby Smart really haven't had that signature win. They beat a they beat a pretty good Kentucky team this past weekend, which I think was helpful. They've obviously won that game in, in the dome to begin the year, but uh, Auburn is coming in with uh, doesn't look like we're going to have Cameron Petway, which is a problem. Who knows what's wrong with Sean White? Uh, heard a variety of different theories of why he sat out the first uh, the first half against Vanderbilt, but Auburn is coming in without Cameron Petway uh, off of a Georgia win on the road in primetime TV, and they are a ten and a half point favorite at Sanford Stadium, a place where we haven't had a whole lot of luck lately. So uh, I, I certainly hope this is not the week that, uh, that Kirby turns this around. <laughs> but, yeah, well, but but it certainly yeah. certainly has me nervous. Thoughts on the game this weekend before I ask a, a final question and let you go. A great rivalry game. Generally speaking, where the game's played is of no consequence, at least historically. That's right. Uh, I know yeah. lately. I know lately. It's it's been Georgia's lately. Role, it's been a little bit different, long, but absolutely. For a long for a long time, though, this is not a game, a longest Southern rivalry out there for both teams, and but a good rivalry and uh, yeah. one that doesn't have necessarily the same kind of bitterness and hate that say Georgia, Georgia Tech, and Auburn, Alabama have. So I, I believe right. that Auburn is in a very good position, and a lot of it has to do with Kevin Steele's emergence with his defense. It's been a constant. Yeah. Uh, the offense, the offense has, uh, you know, needed more time to find itself. Uh, Gus, I think, has been able to do that. I, I realize you, you do have some injury circumstances at the position, but look, your alternative is a guy that a lot of people thought should have had the job at the start anyway. So, athletically at the position, and that's what Gus wants. Gus wants someone that's athletic at the position and that's that right. can be accurate with those run-pass option circumstances that pop up. Uh, 
I think the job he's done, given where they were, by example, when they played oh. the LSU game. Imagine, imagine where the two programs oh. would be, oh. by the way. Both LSU We'd be one and three. We would have been one and three had we lost that game. If, 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 if one second differential had come into play, yeah. right? I mean, it's just – but that's what college football is. It I, is. I, I think Auburn's in a great position here, and I like Good. them in the game. As Georgia, Georgia, in my mind, is a year or two away. And Auburn, yeah. because of personnel, and Gus is a little bit of a mad scientist. And yes. when it clicks, it really clicks. When it yeah. doesn't, it's oh, it's, it's either on or off, Tim. You're exactly right. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, Ole Miss is a you know he coaches he coaches a lot like Hugh Freeze, and yeah. the offenses are basically the same. It's about how you play at the mission critical position. Nine times yeah. out of ten, it's going to be the difference in whether you're a, a, a ten and two team or a six and sixteen. I mean, that yeah. position to those teams and the way no those question. coaches coach is much more important. And I like what I saw even after the loss of, of White. So I, I believe you're going to be okay. The key will be uh, for Auburn, and trust me when I tell you this. Uh, a lot of people around the country are looking at the SEC right now and and saying, you know what, we sure hope Auburn is good the rest of the mm-hmm. way because if they aren't and the and the Iron Bowl doesn't yeah. matter, then then the yeah. SEC takes a huge hit True. nationally yeah. because it's Alabama and a huge drop off to everybody else. And Auburn is kind of carrying the banner now uh, for the rest yeah. of the conference. So from outside the SEC footprint. Uh, I think that a lot of people want Auburn to go into that game in a position to really screw it up for Alabama. Yeah, Tim, it's interesting you say that. I agree with you, but it's an uncomfortable position as an Auburn fan to be in because the feelings that we had after that LSU game, a game that we really thought we we probably should have lost, right? And so <laughs> you have the debacle of the year before, you have the game this year, and you're just sitting here thinking, all right, this is over. Gus had all season to turn this around, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, to that point, I kind of feel like we're playing with house money this year. You, you know, are, we're, you every are, game now is just kind of bonus because yeah. we really thought, um, certainly, you know, when the referee was under the hood looking at that final play of the LSU game, that we were looking at going one and three. And, and yeah. by the way, I think that would have been our sixth straight, uh, seventh straight um conference loss at home. So uh, happy to hear you yep. say that. I hope that's the case. The game makes me nervous this weekend, so we'll see. I, I appreciate your being honest about your fandom. Uh, yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I've never been one and, and will yeah. never be. So my views are always completely objective and usually from the outside looking in. And uh, that's why I say what I do. I look at uh, the game from a you know global perspective yeah. and – uh, I think the SEC is going to take a major hit yeah. in terms of where it steps, you know, the distance it has between, say, themselves and the Big Ten, even the ACC to some extent, if Alabama is not challenged at the end by Auburn. You know, LSU yeah. clearly proved, I mean, LSU clearly proved that they got the dudes to play with Alabama yeah. Uh, yeah. defensively, especially. Okay, now offensively, it's a dumpster fire that they've yeah. got to fix. And that that's the job at hand for their administration in the next hire. But in terms of competitively on the scoreboard, the Southeastern Conference's Eastern Division looks awful. I mean, it awful. has never looked worse. In the last no. 15 years, it's never looked worse. 
And since LSU threw up its challenge, at least for three quarters in a scoreless game, at least there's some hope that there are enough dudes at other places to play with Alabama. Auburn, I think because of the option game, because of the Gus Malzahn factor, uh, the mad scientist factor, is deemed a team that I think could put pressure points on uh, Alabama's defense, especially without Jackson, that could be exploited. And, and, and yeah. I think that, that that will add to the intrigue going into that game. But it's all gone if they lose to Georgia. I mean, all yeah, the, you're all exactly the right. That's what makes me nervous. It's, it's all gone if we don't take care of business this weekend. And that's to right. your point, LSU did something this year that nobody's been able to do with Alabama, and that's make Jalen Hurts look like a true freshman, which, by the way, he is. Well, you know, we forget how young this kid is. Yeah, yeah, yeah they bracketed him. They kept they kept him off the edge. They they yeah. bracketed him. They did not let him get outside contain. The one big play he made was in a down and distance situation where yeah. you had to figure they had to go max coverage. And the great athlete that he is, he made a great athletic play and he scored a touchdown as a result. But but by and large, they made him beat them in the air. And and yeah. the only time he got some room because of uh, uh, lack of a pass rush and the fact that they were playing max coverage, he saw just enough room to get into the end zone. So a great young athlete made a fantastic play. But I think a lot of – I mentioned this uh, last week after the game. The blueprint for success has just been given by Dave Aranda, yeah. the defensive coordinator at yeah. LSU. And, you know, Kevin Steele's <laughs> – He's not opposed to playing role of copycat, and Kevin not at all. too about defending Alabama too. So I yeah. think that the job that he's done very quietly at Auburn is, has been a constant for them, and it, I think it'll help them out against Georgia, and um, without question, could keep them in a competitive situation in the Iron Bowl. Boy, that'd be great as an Auburn fan to be able to beat Georgia uh, and then get a non-conference win against Alabama A&M before the Iron Bowl would just be fantastic. Right. Um, last question real quick, Tim. I know you've been very generous of your time. We talked about true freshman right. quarterbacks. We've talked about Jalen Hurts. Jacob Eason is certainly getting a lot of uh, – um, a lot of coverage. Uh, Shea Patterson didn't get to play a whole lot this year. Uh, probably will play now that Chad Kelly's out with an injury. But you worked this past weekend, the, the Texas-Texas Tech game in Lubbock. And so a couple questions to kind of end with. Number one, what are your thoughts of this Texas team? I mean, they can't. They seem to be struggling with their identity. They they win two in a row to start the season, and they lose three in a row. Now they've won three out of their last four. So, you know, do you think it's too late for Charlie Strong to save his job? And talk a little bit about what you saw with Shane Bouchel, true freshman quarterback, who looks like he's certainly growing into a big leadership position for that Longhorn team. I think the world of Charlie Strong, at the same time, uh, late in that game, if you were watching it, uh, his young offensive coordinator, by the way, the type of guy I think LSU should hire uh, as its offensive coordinator, provided they yeah. keep Ed Orgeron. Sterling yeah. Gilbert came over from Tulsa. He's an, he's an Art Bryles guy. He had been a play caller uh, that had worked alongside Kendall Bryles before Kendall took over at Baylor. So Sterling is a bright offensive mind that is a spread guy, knows how to chunk it. It's an air raid type of uh, offense, no doubt about yeah. it. Uh, yeah. And with that, you have to, from a defensive standpoint, uh, alter your decision-making a little bit because you're going to be on the field a lot more because your offense is scoring too quickly. And yeah. he made a major change in concept 
the way he wanted to play, which, which by the way, in the Big 12, if you're not willing to score 50 points, you're probably not going to win many oh. games. I mean, you just yep. have to go. And I know people say defenses suck in the, in the Big 12. Let me tell you, those offenses can make you suck a lot. Sure can. Because yeah. they're, they're really well coached. They're, they're well schooled. And the number of great players that they're recruiting in that part of the country all want to play offense. They don't want to play defense. Yeah. You know, if that's it, right. That's one of the reasons I think Saban did not take the Texas job. I really believe that. Uh, when you go in, the culture in that state, in that area of the country is offense. Hey, we're going to score a lot of points. It's offense. Yeah, you look at those Texas high school football, but you look at those Texas high school scores, you can see it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, that's the seven on seven culture that they've created and all that. But I really think a lot of Charlie Strong, I, I hope that he, now he's got to win every game to keep his job. I, I definitely yeah. believe that. In a very yeah. similar situation to Orgeron uh, at LSU. Now, the games are winnable. He could win every game or he could lose them all. But uh, Bouchelle is the real deal. I mean, he is a yeah. big-time talent, can make every throw, very composed. Deontay Foreman is the closest thing to Derrick Henry I've ever seen outside the SEC. I mean, he is just wow. a big-time back yeah. that can really – he went for 341 last week against – he ran for 341 yards in that game. Wow. And now, Tech's defense is not good. It's, it's, it ranks, right. you know, in the hundreds every year. Still. They're still trying to get their act together there. But still, I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible to think what he's done. Now, here's yeah. the issue for them. They have a game coming up with Baylor. They, got a, they, they, they win that game. They got a game. They beat Texas Tech. Now they've got a couple of more games, TCU on Thanksgiving and a chance to, you know, to possibly win the remaining games that they have. If they can do that and get into a bowl, uh, I think Charlie can keep his job because the Baylor situation is what it is. That thing is going to mm-hmm. blow up at the end of the year. That's yeah. going to help Texas. It already has helped Texas in recruiting of offensive players. Uh, and, and I think that the seeds for success have been sown on the offensive side with the hiring of Sterling and a young quarterback like this that they haven't seen since they brought in Colt McCoy as a freshman. Okay. Wow. Michelle is, I think, a better quarterback than Colt was. And he got him to a national title game against Alabama in 09. So I, I think yeah. that they are in really, really good shape. Uh, the problem for him is the, the culture of now in yeah. Texas. Yeah. They want it and they want it now. And they yeah. don't have it right now. But he had, they had a decision late in the game, and if you've uh, Googled me, you know it's there. He, they decided yeah. to go with the 18-wheeler package on a third and two and a fourth and one to close mm-hmm. out the game with Texas Tech. And Deontay Foreman, the best player on the field, is on the sidelines yeah. when they have a chance to close the game out. They wind up giving it yeah. back to Texas Tech. Texas Tech takes it down to the red zone and throws an interception. I mean, they almost lost the game. You know, they got lucky, yeah, they got lucky. Of, yeah. Those types of decisions – are the types of decisions that historically get any coach fired. And that's especially right. one that's on the hot seat like, like Charlie. So, uh, And I know he's not the offensive coordinator, Sterling is, but at some point the head coach has to take responsibility and accountability and say, hey, uh, excuse me, he's run yeah. for 341 yards and he's not in the game and we're trying to run the ball here to close it out, get a first down. you got to yeah. get him in there. He's got a yeah, kind of similar to Nick Nick Saban and uh, 
uh, Nick Saban earlier in the year when uh, yeah. when they asked him about his conversation. They said, was there a fight? Right. He said, no, there, it wasn't a fight. It was an ass-chewing. So. Yeah, it was an ass-chewing, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to uh, uh, have an iron hand or iron tongue, one or the other, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you, and you got to know care, when to I, do both. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's what makes Nick the, uh, the best in the business. So, uh, but I, I sincerely hope Charlie gets um, another year. Uh, I think they're very, very close. The Big 12 needs Texas to be relevant. Uh, yeah. One of the problems, I think, in concept that the conference has right now, Oklahoma's pretty good, but not where they used to be. And Texas is nowhere near where they used to be. So, those yeah. two programs have got to be the standard bearers on the field. Okay, that um, the the other stuff, uh, conference expansion, the issues they have in getting along, that's a sidebar. I'm just talking about on the field. Uh, you know, in the Pac-12, USC and UCLA need to be good. In the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State need to be good. Uh, yeah. And in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas need to be good. No, exactly, exactly right. Tim, we've we've run out of time. With time has flown by. We've gone over what we we promised uh, that we would uh, we would take over your afternoon. So we appreciate it. Tell everybody what game you have going on this weekend and how they can follow you on Twitter or social media or any any uh, um, or uh, any other any other uh, social media type stuff that you've got going on. All you need to do is go to at Tim Brando on Twitter. There's plenty of activity there. Trust me, uh, a lot of it from the state of Alabama. Uh, this weekend, I'll have the game between I'll have uh, Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State uh, is in a position now if they can win out, and they've got to play at TCU a week from Saturday. If Oklahoma State can win out, then the game, the Bedlam uh, rivalry between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on Saturday, December third, would be the de facto Big Twelve championship game. So, yeah. you know, Mike Gundy, by the way, is another one of those names you'll be hearing about the LSU job too. By the way, interesting. He's, uh, he's a very highly thought of head coach. I, I think a lot of Mike, I really do. Uh, Boone Pickens is taking care of him financially to this point, but if anyone's sure. got a wandering eye in the SEC, I think I think uh, Mike might be one of the guys that they take a look at if uh, Orgeron's not the decision. But uh, Oklahoma State and uh, and uh, Texas Tech for us, for Spencer and me this weekend. Then the uh, following week, we're not sure exactly where we'll be. It likely could be yeah. worth for TCU and, and Okie State. So, uh, and, and my uh, December 3rd game, whether it's the Pac-12 championship or the uh, Big 12 championship, it'll be on Big Fox. So uh, you can awesome. check us out on FS1 or Fox the next few weeks. And, well, and I start basketball next week. I've got three That's basketball great. games on FS1, Wisconsin-Creighton, uh, Butler Northwestern and Rutgers DePaul three straight nights next week. So we're crossing Fantastic. over. Fantastic! That's awesome. Oh, look, Tim, that's awesome. Thank you so much for spending uh, spending time with us on the Red Zone Sports Support. Would encourage everybody to follow Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim will be. Uh, uh, I'll be making sure I check out the games this weekend. You are uh, always welcome on the Red Zone Sports Support. Thanks again for your time, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, my name is Chip Lake. On behalf of my co-host, Kip Kiefer, who is actually working this afternoon, uh, we'll catch you next time on the Red Zone Sports Support. And, uh, Tim Brando, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.